Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we're here today to talk the Thousandfold Thought, chapters one through chapter four. So it's my first time reading this uh, this one, and I'm here today with Katerina and Daniel, as usual. We're back from the break and uh, refreshed and ready to go. Katerina, do you want to give us an introduction? Uh, sure. Uh, hi, I'm Katerina, and I'm reading the Thousandfold Thought for the second time. And I'm very curious about how I feel about the book this time because I know that I rushed through it the first time I read it because I was so desperate to know how it was going to end and what was going to happen to my favorite characters. So I'm, I'm curious to see how I feel about the book now that we're reading it more slowly and, and taking our time. And I'm Daniel. I'm doing a reread of the second apocalypse. It's fun reading it with people who have read various amounts. And I want to know what you thought, Steve. I got to say, so <laughs> I think the way that the warrior prophet ended, it ended on a really, it was really intense and really um, like this, I don't want to say cliffhanger, but it, it kept you, uh, for me anyway, it kept me really anxious to start because I wanted to know what was going to happen next. And the first four chapters that we read this week, kind of like deflating a balloon a little bit. I gotta, I, I gotta be honest, it's it was a little bit, um, I think we, it, it almost felt like when a season, like a, like a sitcom season ends and the new one starts and then there's like a recap of what happened last season, kind of like getting to know everyone again. I kind of felt like we were just kind of re like repeating things. Maybe that was a intentional choice uh, to kind of catch people up who were reading at the time, who may have forgotten things or um, who may have, you know, because uh, it probably took a little bit of time between book two and three at, at the time that it was printed. But um, there were some things, but I don't know. There wasn't a whole lot in these four, first four chapters. What, what did you guys think? I mean, I do agree with what you're saying. It, uh, especially like the first chapter, it did feel like a bit of a recap. And overall, I did feel like the four chapters we read were sort of reestablishing where we left off, left off with the characters and um, the emotional state that they were in and the reasons why they were in the position that they are now uh but i actually really enjoyed it like i the, the parts about the series that i enjoy the most are always the ones with a lot of dialogue or a lot of um like inner monologue where you're really getting into the psychology of the characters and i did feel i did feel like that was missing for a big chunk of the warrior prophet and we finally got back to it here so i thought it was it was actually very enjoyable for me, but I, but I do, do understand, um, your complaints. And I, there was no real climactic moments, but I still kind of feel like a lot happened in these four chapters, as far as positioning on the Venduka board, we got Kellis gonna be a what did they call him? A sorcerer without a school? Yeah. 
but also the warrior prophet. And then we got, let's see. Now he's living back with Estenet and they got their weird situation. Nair almost killed the wrong Moingus. <laughs> the Ickery stuff. I just feel like a lot of new things kind of happened, but, and I feel like this book is so complicated. It's crazy how R. Scott Baker in like four pages can explain the whole darkness that comes before book. When he does the what has come before and he explains the whole like warrior prophet book in seven pages. So if I ever thought about explaining that book, it would be 40 pages. <laughs> Katarina, I think you, br you bring up an interesting point. I, I didn't think about it until you mentioned it, but I think this book is almost, because I think there's a, a, a difference between the first book and the second book in the delivery. And I think this one so far, I think is right in between because we do have some of the uh, more of the, you know, getting inside the heads of the characters a little bit more and some of the the plot points moving along. So it's, it's almost felt like it was in the middle of the two, kind of the style felt like a kind of a mix because the warrior prophet reads a lot faster than the darkness does, I think. And this book, it, these first few chapters read faster, but like Dennis, there are things that happened. Um, but I think maybe it was just my anticipation going into it. Like I, I wanted answers because of what happened in the last few pages. So, but you know, I, there, you know, there were things, but, um, yeah, but I, another thing just really quickly is that I've realized that, that Baker reading Baker and reading Erickson have, have ruined my enjoyment of some other books or not honestly ruined, but they've dampened my enjoyment of other books because it's just, it's hard to maintain that level of, you know, of storytelling when you go from something like Baker or even uh, like Empires of Dust, uh, you go from that to other, but it's, there's a stark contrast there with um, prose. Like yeah, watching a, watching a Lifetime movie instead of Game of Thrones. It's like watching like a They're Lifetime movie. And then the you watch, yeah, you like watch The Godfather and then you watch a Lifetime movie. It's you know, so it's just it's just different. Not not that the other the other books are bad. It's just it's just a different uh, experience. Yeah, I think having read this series made me realize there are only certain types of book. I want to um, waste my time on um, that. There, yeah. That um, it, I mean, sometimes I don't know. It kind of depends. Like sometimes you're in a mood for a light read or a fun read that doesn't require as much mental power. Um, but when it comes to the, the books, I, I really enjoy. It's um, it's it's been I've been on a hunt for more books like this series or like Malazan. Um and it's hard. They're not they're not as many. It's tough. So I I was <laughs> when I started reading the book, I had some tabs handy because I always you know we always tab and I started running out of tabs pretty quick because I was typing like the first page. There's just so many lines from these books that I just 
that just make me smile even when it's terrible. Did you um, what did what, did you read or what did you think of the first two epigraphs that introduced the entire book? If the you had one to... from uh, Cormac McCarthy, the yeah Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, the uh, all progressions from a higher to a lower order are marked by ruins and mystery and residue of nameless rage. So here are the dead fathers. Does it give you any indication or, or of where this book or the series is going? Do you think? Well, I've been uh, I've been thinking a lot about because we had the the couple of weeks off, and and then I noticed some things in this book, and I think I have them um, that there's some, uh, of course, a holy war, but so there's some religious things mixed in here. If, if I'm I don't know if I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions but i kind of got a lot of like heavy religious um things from the book from the all of the previous books or this book all of them so far there are some references in this book and i think i have the tab page but uh about well of course uh in the last book when they hang them upside down surway and kellis and then i forget where it's mentioned but they'd mention um their hands being nailed, their hands and feet be nailed, and the shapes. So it's kind of like a Christ um, parallel there. Yeah, that was his hanging on the cross moment, for sure. Right. They, at one point, even mentioned, I think, Sodom or Gomorrah in these chapters, where he said, like, one city had become so horrible and all the bad stuff was happening in it that people just referred to it as like a sodomite place. There's definitely a lot of religion in this because it's just a reflection of earth and human society and religion is a big part of human society itself. And he'll play with all of that. Yeah, I think you can definitely find a lot of references to Christianity in the Enrithi faith. Hmm. Like even the the name of the prophet in Janus, like take that in, and in, jumble, jumble it around in your head for a while and see what what are they called in that and anagrams you come up with words you can pull out of Enrisagenus. Yeah, and like you right. even in in Christianity, Inri is an abbreviation for the title that of, of, of Jesus, the King of the Jews, from Latin. Hmm. It's just like one tiny detail that I that I found. All the way up to like the naming of the people, like the Islamic people are all like Fanons and Kaskamandaris, and they have like a whole. I don't know. It's just different. They ride camels. They have mastodons. They're like desert people. <laughs> they worship a whole other god. They worship the solitary god. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there are definitely parallels, but then also, I, I, I would maybe caution against thinking they're like they're just one to one. Um, they're, they're like he lifted them one to one, one to one from our world. Uh, like yeah. for example, the in, in Rita religion. 
is it's not monotheistic. They actually uh, they worship a hundred gods or at least like a, a plethora of gods. Um, so he plays with it. Yeah, they're all tropes and concepts for him to mess around with. He likes to play around with old fantasy tropes, like the chosen one that we have in this book. It's not like a normal chosen one. And I am I am sad to report that I was talking with someone recently about the story about the books and they had read all of them and they mentioned something to me that was probably a spoiler i'll tell you i'll tell both of you after it wasn't a major thing but it was enough to where it got me i kind of i kind of have an idea where it might go but we'll talk about it i don't want to spoil i don't want to spoil anyone else who's reading along with us there's so much spoilers that would need to be said to really spoil this book that you have to listen to at least 20 minutes of someone talking in order to like get a good thorough spoiler at the end. You'll be able so, to walk away well in time. Just for this first trilogy or for the entire series? The entire series. This first trilogy, it would still take a while to explain, but a lot less. Yeah, I think it's more spoilable. <laughs> But I mean, I don't know, it's, it's always a shame when, especially with these books, like I can, well, I, I mean, I, I never felt like I was able to predict what was going to happen. Or maybe I was just, was just wishful thinking, like the things I, I probably could have uh, guessed were going to happen, I did not want to happen. Um, that, um, I, I would, it's always, it's always a shame when someone spoils things for you. But Even you unintentionally. Re revisit something. Last time we talked, Steve made a prediction that the Holy War would not get to Shimmer. Do you still think that prediction's true? I'm gonna, I'm, gonna hold, I'm gonna hold to it. I'm not gonna back down now. <laughs> we'll see. All right, let's check. I just wanted to check. I can't. It's only been four chapters. I can't. I can't bail out now. I have to I'll just stick with it. I mean, they barely left the city, so. Yeah. And the spoiler wasn't, it was very vague, and it, I think it was a small thing to mention, but it, I think it may be a big, in the long run, maybe like a, not major, but I think significant, but we'll see. We'll, see. well if, if you want me to go beat them up, I will. <laughs> Tell me where they're at. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. No spoilers. Yeah, we'll talk. A couple th did you guys find anything interesting in the what has come before parts you know i i'm i i remember reading something that i was surprised me that i i didn't remember if it was was just um explicitly said or if it was something that i forgot and now i can't remember what it is but i think this is um i think he does add in details um from the books that maybe people we missed or were vague before or am i off base he definitely clarifies some things maybe not <clears throat> entirely truthfully though <laughs> i i think usually what these uh summaries help me with is 
understanding the motivation of the characters better because hmm. sometimes it's done he doesn't comment on it in the actual book itself where it's, it's it you just supposed to understand it from context but in the summaries um he's more explicit and like for example in i think with Nior, um he does a little bit more into the detail about why he decided to um help Callus at the very end um after he got um uh, not crucified circ after he got hung up on the on the circle on the circumference circumvide um, we'll call it that <laughs> i was gonna say circumcised but that didn't <laughs> yeah you gotta say fide yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it fell wrong are we reading the same book i don't know Speaking of that, there's a something we'll talk about it in the in the fourth chapter, but something I thought was pretty funny, in a twisted, not funny kind of way. We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Right. There were a couple of funny funny tidbits. Um, I think especially Eliezeris is uh has some comedic moment, like very like dark comedy, but I still did find them funny. Was he questioning how Akamian would protect Callus? Like he would protect him with his girth or with his with his body, body kind of thing. I think that was Nayor, but that, I, I do remember that one. That was I, I did I did laugh out loud when I read that. <laughs> it was like a very serious scene, and then he's just. <laughs> my my favorite one was with Nayor when he said, when he's like taught, getting yelled at by Estimet, and he says, "But its name," and then what does he say? It's like. He heard someone cry. Surely the voice is too womanish, too weak to be his own. <laughs> yeah. But but it was him. He's just yeah. on his on his knees, bowing to Esmet because she's screaming. It was good. <laughs> Esmet is making some moves. She's making some pretty big decisions, and she seems like she's. Um, it's almost I kind of saw her in these first four chapters as almost like a student of Callus because. She talks a lot about. She talks about the. Ur she res she's resisting the urge to. Is it mislead or the resisting the urge to kind of take advantage of the situation? When she was talking to Akamian, I think. Um, but she's l learning um, how to manipulate and how to um, kind of pull strings. She's becoming a politician. And uh, it's a weird, it's a weird um, position for her, like as someone who spent most of their life being very poor and powerless, to suddenly find herself in, in a position where she, she's one of the most powerful people among the, um, um, the Inrithi in Karaskant. And she, she has this like one passage where, where she, where she's thinking about this about like what power is and how power is basically um, the fact that y you just with mere words you can have someone killed or someone freed or it, it was uh, I think I think I actually have that tapped because um, I uh, think this she understood was power the translation of word into fact she only need to speak the word. Uh, she need only speak, and the world would be rewritten. Before her voice would could conjure only custom ragged breaths, 
and quickened seed before her cries could only forestall affliction and wheedle what small mercies would come. Now her voice had become that mercy, that affliction. Yes, well, Baker can put it a lot more eloquently than I. Oh, yeah, I can't even read it, so, yeah. But, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing to think where she started, like, where we met her in Sumna and where she is now. Even though it's still, like, she she's, she's still only holds power within, like, this very, like, relatively small group, group of people. As... They've only really conquered like a couple of cities in the Western Three Seas. It's it's not like she's a she's an empress or a queen with like a uh, established kingdom, something like that. That's true, but in some ways she. <clears throat> kind of is more, she might even think she's more, because she's like, like, walking prophet's wife, that seems to be more significant than some king's concubine, or something like that. But she's struggling right now to walk the line between who she once was and who she she's expected to be now, I guess, because she has to be out there doling punishments to people and doing bad things to people who used to could have been her, kind of. I think she had a couple people flayed, didn't she? In public, right? So she's becoming... And but it, it's been fun to watch since she came from where she came from to now be where she is. I think even Akamian has accepted all of his body slaves now too because he's never had them before. And he's like, I've been a spy all my life. But why not? I don't wear these ugly rings, though. But... Yeah, it seems like it's a fairly easy thing to get used to, having slaves and not having to uh, do any manual labor for yourself. He doesn't have to walk on the march anymore? He has a new horse called Noon, I think. And I don't think, I know they mentioned the mule, but I don't think they mentioned, they talked about his fate and just that he was gone. So. I think yeah. he got lost somewhere in Iothea. When uh, when Akamian got, got attacked by the Scarlet Spires, if I remember well. But I, I don't know if they killed the mule. Like I, I don't know if it just ran away or if, if he got killed during the attack. I, I don't know if it ever gets clarified. I don't remember. I don't think one original horse from that time has made it to where they are now. They've all been eaten or died. I think they're all riding like the Padre Jow's horses now. Yep. Um, but just coming back to us a minute, um, 
I think one one thing that um, strikes to me it's it's the fact that we've kind of, like it's it's a stark transition for her, but at the same time, from the very beginning, we we've known that Esmanet is someone who who's always wanted more, who's always kind of thought that she could do more if she was just given this chance, and it's and even in the first book when she meets her Salas, she gets very easily seduced by the by the luxury that he offers her um, and the comfort that comes with his position. So it, it does not come to me as such a surprise that she has ended up where she is now. And, and there is this one line where that she tells a common um, I think it's end of chapter one or maybe two, when when she comes to visit him to to check up on him, and he's kind of making her feel guilty because she abandoned him, and she tells him something along the lines like "You gave me a life, but Callus gave me the world," and I thought it was such a gut punch. <laughs> but also, you you can't really blame her. He, he, objectively speaking, he has given her more than a common. Ever did. He's taught her to read. He's given her power. The the best thing that a common did for her, you could argue, was just to make him his camp wife. <laughs> Which, you know, if you compare the two. And. I, I might be wrong here, but I, I kind of got the I kind of am getting the impression that Akamian is a little bit intimidated by her now, because um, she has she she's becoming a stronger um, person and she has this power and influence that I don't think Akamian always I think he's a little little envious of you know where she what where she is now like what she's become, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. I could see that, but I think he's more just still in love with her and jealous of Kellis and mad at Kellis and still having to help Kellis. He's just going through an emotional roller coaster right now. And then he like talked about becoming more Seswatha like because his dreams and the realities are like less different now. He even said he's like the de facto grandmaster of the school, even though he's not, but he's the one out really doing new things. But their relationship is very strange. And I feel real bad. I felt real bad for Akamian reading all this. He's still reflecting on his Andamine Heights jokes. I'll give you the Andamine Heights. <laughs> Yeah, it almost feel like a common is experiencing some sort of a Stockholm syndrome syndrome with Kellis. I I, I do I do find it quite astonishing that even after everything that he's gone through and the the betrayal uh, by Esmanet that he chooses to stay 
and, and protect Callus and, and even to give him the gnosis. Yeah, it's 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 kind of hard for me to comprehend. Like I, I guess that he is really convinced that Callus is the chosen one, the, the the prophet that's who's going to save them. But it's a little bit odd, considering how educated, well-read Akamian is. that he would just put so much faith into one person, that person being Kellis. I feel like it mostly has to do with, up to this point, his whole life, he's been chasing ghosts. And finally, this person comes who can like bring these ghosts to light. So his life, not worth what Siswatha's horrible dreams are to him. And I think the dreams are like, ex they're experienced fully. So when he like dreams of being burned, that he, he's like being burned. Right? So he's in agony and then he wakes up. He's like, man, I don't want to go back to bed ever. But now his reality is becoming just as bad. And even though Kellis betrayed him, it's still like the only hope for all of humanity. So he's struggling with his like self-jealousy or his belief that Kellis is like the only hope for the entire world. Yeah, the hope part is, I guess, is what confuses me because there is the Kelmonian prophecy and it's clear that somehow Kellis is entangled with the with the consult but in nowhere does it say that Kellis is the one who's going to save them or that he has the means to um but so he can it, kill skin spies and you can see them and I think at one point, Akamian is talking and it talks about how much that like undid from them. That's why they'll try to assassinate him, probably because they had so much of a benefit having skin spies in everywhere. Now that they're all pushed out, the consult may be really kind of desperate. And all this is good to Akamian because before this, the consult were just like smoke. Every day he woke up just a cloud of smoke he could never touch. Now this guy has helped him. At least touch him. So that would give you that would give someone a little hope, I think. Especially I think it said it's been three hundred years since they've seen the consult or something like that. So now there's a little bit of hope. Even Nasera believes in which is kind of surprising. Notera, I think, hates Akamian a lot, but... I mean, Akamian thinks that Notera hates him. But he's not, he's notoriously not good at reading people. It's true. It's he true. knows that he betrayed Enrao, so now at least Akamian hates Notera, for sure. Kind of his whole school, he seems to be very mad at currently, but... 
Yeah, I mean, also considering the position they put him in where he uh, has to keep working with Callus, who stole his wife, and also pretend like he was not... he. Pretend like he was not kidnapped by the uh, Scarlet Spires and, and tortured, and had his friend who had uh, who had his friend blinded. Yeah, wants him to hold court with the people who tried to steal everything from him. But at least he got with the Eopis out of the deal. And then we had a. We had Zinimus try to shove some eyeballs back in his eyeballless head. <laughs> yeah, that was really strange. Uh, that was very disturbing. So I was okay. I was a little bit lost on that part. Did did it work? Okay, I wasn't sure if it worked or not. I just know that he, he was. He was like screaming, "Why won't you open?" Blink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he starts just crashing around, all mad, and I gave me and ran away. Yeah, like I like how Akemi closed the door and stayed inside the room, like like he had left, and he just stood there and watched. What's this guy gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> he just like snuck out. He starts yelling at the eyes. I I do find it fascinating watching how quickly Zainemus's personality completely disintegrated. Like especially because he was introduced to us as someone who was like very strong. Um, it's like who had a command over the situation, like a general, and then this experience just completely, completely destroyed him. Um, and and the friendship they had with the commune as well. Is I I, I mean, do you, do you see them? I like I do see them recovering from this. Like it doesn't. It does seem like he's on a downward spiral. Zynemus. I mean. Yeah, I think he's he's uh I didn't really think of it that way until now that you mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. He is in a spiral. I mean and, I, considering what he's been through, I can't say I blame him. But. Yeah, I mean for sure. It's it's just I, I think I you know, based on the first impressions, I would have expected him I would I would have expected him to be um stronger, stronger person. Uh but then I guess you can't really predict how someone's going to re- react to uh this kind of trauma. Because he he they did break him right in the torture scenes he did, um, he did tell them what they wanted, if I remember right. Yes, they he uh, he used some compulsion. Hmm. Yeah, he didn't really have a choice. Yeah. And you can Where... kind of see how uh, a commune starting to um, despise his friend. Like the connection between them, I like you can see it just breaking. I think, like he's becoming a nuisance for a commune, at least from what I can tell. Yeah, I. Zinimus has fell far, but I, I might just speak to. I wouldn't even say Kenyan strength. I would say just the strangeness of the mandate dreams. How this powerful soldier could be broken so easily 
to a sorcerer's school and a Kainian could keep the secrets of the Gnosis from them, no matter what they did. Hmm. And he said, like, when it was happening, it wasn't him that was keeping it from him. It was Seslafa, his brother, like, basically half, half him. Because when he sleeps, he is Seslafa only, or he doesn't get the boring parts. It talks about, like... What did it talk about? How no one ever sees Seswatha shit or something. Yeah. And now he's Seswatha, so maybe censored. he doesn't shit either. Yeah. The dreams are censored, it turns out. They're not R-rated. Yeah. Very PG. Well, not PG, I mean, considering the, the torture scene at the beginning. The, the first dream, it's... What's the name of the fortress? Decliosh? Decliosh. Something that starts with a D. That's when Nazar is dreaming and Damien's trying to wake him up from one of Seswatha's dreams. Mm. Yes. Right. And it's all about, I think, Seswatha dying to the... consult even though maybe they weren't called the consult then it just said it was a group of shrank non-men and a crazy thing with wings and cancerous lumps all over it did it have wings i thought it had like three arms or something oh there was also something with three arms each place where one arm would be and three legs each place where one leg would be a fast track yeah. Yeah, 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 I think that was the fast track. The wing thing is gory. Gry. I think I missed that. I missed that there was one present. But you, they talked about how it's like uncommon for them all to be together. Mm -hmm. And it might be worth noting for the future. That was actually in what has come before where it talked about that. It also said that Kellis claimed to be an assassin sent to kill his father. Yeah, that's true. I, I that's that's thank you for reminding me. Uh that was one thing that where I was like, wait, is he not an assassin? And it said for the first time Kellis weeps, which he's fake cried plenty of times. But when he was up on the circumference circumfix he must have actually really weeped for the first time in his life hmm. yeah i think i missed that in the warrior prophet as well yeah i think i missed it too oh and then after after the is like right at the beginning somewhere they talked about the after effects of this war and how they finally started getting food and pretty much a, a hundred people just died of overeating, like relapsed from finally getting real food. Overdosed on meat. Food. That's pretty crazy. It's, that's, it's, that's a really stupid way to die. And then they caught maybe 10 skin spies out of the 38 that had been known after Kellis's little purge so there's at least 28 skins by somewhere still well it seems like most of them abandoned their positions 
when they realized that Callus started chasing after them. Um, yeah. And speaking of skin spies, one of them might have taken a new form, huh? Yeah. That, and then we met, and then another one was revealed. And that's when Air was chasing Survey through the fields, all the way up to the pile of dead bodies. Yeah, and the bird or the um, winged creature. Yeah, it seems to have struck some sort of a deal with Nayor. Though it's, I think it's unclear at this point if he accepted it or not. Because technically he's already on a mission from Proyas to go kill Confus or Kellus. Which I'm very perturbed by. They talked about how Kellis had made two assassination <laughs> attempts on Confus already at this point, and they both failed. So, Kellis isn't perfect. Unless he wanted to fail. <laughs> well, we, 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 know, um, we know from New York that um, there is some value for, or there is a reason why Kellis has kept Confess alive, at least in Karaskand. Uh, they have this sort of confrontation at the, at the meeting of the Great Names, where we kind of learn that maybe Confess is not a god, but just a psychopath. Oh, and Achilles shuts him down all the way. Yeah, I love that scene. That was great. That was my favorite part of the four chapters. That's that's one of my favorite scenes in in this book that I remember anyway. Is the I whole like something that only our Scott Baker can really do because you have to like really lay down an argument in those paragraphs from someone else's perspective and be convincing. It just seems like that's a. It would take a really talented philosopher or just argumentative person who can write really well to be able to do that. And I mean, it's, 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 to me, it's like interesting because it seems true, but at the same time, it serves a very specific purpose of removing Confess from the Benjuka plate. Well, uh, one of my favorite lines were during that interaction uh, on page on my edition, page fifty-three. Why do so many give when it is so easy to take? And he's saying, "Confess is just a taker. Mm -hmm. He only takes." Uh, you who are less than any man say to yourself, "I am a god." And then he's like, and you have to deny that right now in front of all these people because they all know it's not true. And then you go home and tell yourself that you're God still. <laughs> Just laying plain his self-deception kind of diagnosis. When he tell us just as easily could have built him up like he did. Savon. 
is now just not going anywhere. <laughs> He's over this whole deal. He's got a castle now. He doesn't want any part of anything. I wasn't going to bring up Saban, but he was there. I, I, I couldn't help but laugh from that whole he just like refusing to leave. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, I mean, but what what else would you expect from Saban? Like he just he has he wants to be a king of something. It doesn't matter that it's a twice twice sacked city with almost no inhabitants because everyone's either left because they don't want to um, be his subjects or they died of hunger or uh, genocide. And what did he say? Uh, I delivered, uh, I delivered it to you, and he said, I opened the gates. And it's like you and a thousand other people, or whatever. He just trying to take credit for all of it, just because he, you know, he had a small part, but he, he wants to believe that it was his doing. It's all him. He already mm -hmm. thought he deserved the city from the Battle of Mangueta or whatever, when he almost died, but somehow made it through. He thought he was promised the city way back then. He's still been thinking about it to this day. <laughs> it, it's from the like sounds a... of it, I think the city sounds like it would be a cool city because it's kind of like tucked up in the mountains. Seems like it's hard, hard to invade and easy to defend from the way it's described. But you're right, it probably smells real bad right now. Kellis is wherever he was staying. They already got flowers there and they're already regrowing stuff. Except I think Acadian might have burned a lot of it down. Or Eocus. Some, someone burned a lot of it down. Yeah, I think uh, they burned the uh, apple orchard. If I remember. There, there, was a, there was like a row of, of apple trees where Kellis met with the Kamian. I remember well and then oh that yeah right and they they had the the skin spy they caught they had they had him uh tied to one of the one of the trees and then a comment had this line about um how could like how, how could someone tie something so ugly like how could they put something so ugly in a place that is so beautiful and then he's like, only someone who does not understand beauty at all could do that. And I was like, yes, Kellis does not understand what beauty is. And I think Kellis's answer was, oh, this tree's already dead. This is a dead tree right here. <laughs> and then Akko, when he's talking to his school, all his school's like, oh, just lie to him and teach him just a teeny bit. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, that's not going to work. Yeah, and I think then the next scene, the Kellis is like, "So, did, what did they, what did they tell you?" And Akami is like, "Oh, I'm supposed to lie to you about <laughs> the gnosis." He doesn't even try and hide it. <laughs> and I didn't realize how close he already had the Scarlet Spires to him. Not Sarah, or not not Sarah. Uh, Lazarus is like fawning over Kellis at this point, so he could just as easily learn their magic. I think that agnostic, the anagnostic texts. But yeah. he wants the old magic. The old magic's 
way cooler. I imagine, I imagine him like somewhere watching that battle, just trying to listen to what it came in saying, steal words. Maybe, could be. I mean, we know that Kellis has very good hearing. <laughs> but speaking of the Scarlet Spires, uh, it seems like Eliezeris has completely lost it. <laughs> yeah. I I kind of wonder if a lot of that was like Yoka said, that he was like super drunk because he was selling out his friend and just trying to play it off so he's just getting wasted being like oh yeah go talk to Kellis even though he knew that he was going to meet a Kavian. yeah but I mean I, I, I feel like I think he's been freaking out since they left High Anon like he's, he's been gradually realizing how big of a mistake he's made by joining the, the Holy War and what a danger he put his school into um, I guess the, uh, the, the revelation of the, the console that of the skin spies is probably like a last nail into the coffin. Of his sanity. Of his sanity. <laughs> but it does make for some good comedy. And then I think Yokus lives. He just doesn't have his eyes now. No, because uh, Zynemus took them. But Lazarus tells him, oh, maybe that'll make you better at meaning, because magic's about meaning, not eyesight. Not seeing it. You mean it. What a comfort. <laughs> he has to be in a better position than Zynemus, because he's at least one of the few, so maybe he will be able to see through a snake's eyes someday. If he tries. Zenimus has no hope. He's just real drunk and real sad and lashing out. I wouldn't want to be his friend either if I was a Kamean. It would be a struggle. I would have to keep being his friend, but I would hate talking to him. <laughs> Terrible. He's a, he's a downer now. He's just real down. Debbie Downer. It's warranted. Yeah. <laughs> the other part that made me laugh was uh, when Zerius visits the Empress and uh, wants to uh, uh, it wants to you know couple uh, and the Empress has an erection <laughs> and well first you kind of get the idea that something's wrong when uh, Zerius he makes a comment like it's she was showing him an uncharacteristically amount of respect, uncharacteristically showing him respect. So you kind of knew right away something's not right. And then when, you know, so I, it wasn't a funny moment, but it was funny at the time. So I, I did think it was funny. Uh, did you anticipate in any way that she was a skin spy? Not until that line that, um, I think it was like a page before that she was in, she was acting she had showed him respect when she walked in the room. She said, um, forget how she, um, the title she gave him, but it was I'm like, it doesn't sound like, because, because now by, by now I'm always wondering who's the skin spy. Cause I'm always trying to figure out, um, but it had I not been paying that much attention. I probably wouldn't have noticed, but 
I think it's unclear when exactly she was replaced because there are some indications even in darkness that she might be a she might be a skin spy there, there are some comments if you go back and, and reread darkness for the third time uh there there are some references to her not like changing her behavior and there are some moments where she seems to like almost sabotage Confess or sabot try to sabotage um, Zerius's plan to um, to make an alliance with the Phantom, and it's it's not like I, I, I'm not sure if if that's just her being the Empress or if that's because what the skin spy who pretended that was they were the Empress uh, if that's the orders. They got from the consult to to sabotage um, that plan. It it never gets answered clearly, but it's somewhere in the pages for you to find. Probably, you're right. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I I would I would wager that she definitely is a skin spy. In the warrior prophet already. I, I, I would, hmm. I would, I would think so. Um, also, there's the fact that she was a very good friend with Chaos, who we know was a skin spy. So that's like another hint that uh, they somehow got to her. And I think at the end of that chapter, and it said that his the meat in his neck popped. What's that mean? Is, is he still alive? What do you think? I don't know. I never saw the meat in my neck pop before when someone was choking me and scratching my face. I mean, rest in peace. So the, uh, okay, I was, I was a little bit confused with uh, Saul and Pertata. I'm probably butchering those two names. The two kids that are trying to see uh, Methanet. Have we seen them before? Because I don't recall. This is they're new, right? They're definitely new. That was okay. kind of a confusing, weird little bit to me too. It was a weird, uh, really awkward transition there. I thought it's kind of strange. Yeah, it was very unexpected. Um, I don't know why he chose to have... The, I guess it's because we don't have a POV character in Sumna anymore. And he needed to um, somehow relate information about Manthanet leaving Sumna. Um, that's why he chose those two POV characters. But it, it is very... Um, it's very unexpected. And I don't, I don't think we've, we'd, we'd seen th those two kids before. I even noticed in that little part, there was a lot more like detail on architecture than I think I've ever read in Baker before. It was like a whole page describing just one place, which Baker usually like kind of leaves that vague for people. So what do you think is the purpose of, 
of Nathanette's journey. What is he up to? Why is he leaving the Thousand Temples? Uh, I think Nathan is a confusing character because he's such an important character in the story, but we don't see a whole lot of him. I think mm-hmm. in the first... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say yes. Uh, he's very enigmatic. Yeah. It, it's just kind of kind of weird that he's such a major character we don't ever see much of him. And you both are smiling at me like... Okay, I was just looking at Daniel's face. My my expression was very neutral. <laughs> I was thinking about other things. I bet, yeah. So I honestly have no idea what's going on with Maithanet. Um If he's fleeing, then something must be wrong, right? Or maybe not. But yeah, it's really I, it's really strange. I'm I'm really I didn't lost. Get that he he was fleeing. I just got that he was going somewhere. The wind was finally headed the right direction for him to take off to somewhere. To somewhere. Yeah, just to somewhere. There was a really good little passage about kind of what the Kamian's going through right now with his Telus and Essenet situation. Despite his nerves, Akamian appreciated the absence of speech. Never, it seemed to him, had he suffered such a throng of conflicting passions. Hatred for an impossible rival, for a fraud who had robbed him of his manhood, of his wife. Love for an old friend, for a student who at once his teacher, or who was at once his teacher. For a voice that had quickened his soul with countless insights. Fear for the future, for the rapacious madness that was about to descend upon them all. Jubilation for an enemy momentarily undone. Bitterness, hope, and awe, all before all. So he's just going through every single emotion you can go through. Yeah, it makes sense. He feels very conflicted. I, I wouldn't envy him that position. If it was me, I'd probably just would have left a long time ago. <laughs> I guess I, I thought about that too, but it, if he know if you knew what he knew, where would where would you go? I guess there's really nowhere to go, right? I mean, if you believe what he believes. He's almost he's almost like it, he's stuck. Like he's he's forced to to stay there and to work with everyone. For Swafa, even if not for himself. Because the mean, mandate is named after the mandate that they're supposed to be there and they're supposed to be prepared for it. And then they realize that they are really not prepared after 2,000 years of preparation. They didn't get prepared at all. Sounds right. Oh, there, there was a part where the Canyon was fighting the Ocus and it was like describing the way the magics were working. And it describes Akkadian's like wards as ghost stone, which I thought was really cool. 
So like Iokas was like tearing down his ghost stone with a black shadow mallet or maul, it said. So I imagine just like a igloo kind of, but way more see-through, built around the Damien out of his magic, just getting hammered at. And then I kind of imagine that with Iokas, but then whatever that last thing Akamian did where all the blinding points just come into each other and just cut apart his boards and didn't kill him though like, nice dra- like, a, like a dragon's head right that was Iokas's magic hmm. Iokas their magic they have to make something like they have to make a dragon head so it can spit the fire where Akamian's magic is like the root. He can just make fire. He doesn't have to like have glamour involved. And one is obviously better than the other. Or Akamian's just a badass. Maybe maybe both. Yeah, it didn't seem like Akamian broke broke a sweat when he was fighting Iokas. He has a lot of rage in him from watching his best friend get his eyes plucked out and now just always complaining to him. That's what happened. It It was for sure Zinimus who's like, man, you gotta get me those eyeballs. And Akamian's like, fine, fine. (laughs) So he went and talked to Kellis. He's like, I need need some eyeballs for my friend. You know that's how it went. That's for sure what happened. Well, um, thank you for this reenactment. <laughs> but I think, yeah, that was that was the gist of it. And then I just imagine Zinimus shoving the eyeballs in and all the like loose strings just coming down his cheeks still because he's just trying to plunge them in there. It was a pretty horrible scene for me to imagine. Yeah, there was a there was a quote in that chapter, I think, about vengeance. Hmm. Um, I don't know if like well, this is not the chapter. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll read it out if I find it. Oh, my remember. favorite quote. Will you will you guys look for it? There's part where there's all these new people coming in because they heard the holy war's been doing good, so now there's all these new people coming in on the ocean braving the winter it said and they all show up and the people of the holy war are just like a whole new group of people and they can't even look them in the eyes because their eyes are just too brutal because they've been through so much and then it talked about how they're not the same people anymore they spilled whatever blood they once shared with these men so like oh yeah we're blood, but all that blood's been just leaked out in the desert. You're not my brother anymore. It's crazy to think about. Yeah, uh, I found the the quote about about vengeance, and it goes, "If suit stains your tunic, dyed mm-hmm. black, this is vengeance." It's pretty dark and ominous. But I guess it describes the, um, it's very succinct description, quite accurate. It's 
I mean, it's not like it's not like I I O is this Iocus is his name? Is it his name? Yeah. Uh, it's not like him losing his eyes leads to anything good for anyone. Like no one wins from that. Zynemus is not getting his eyesight back. It doesn't. It doesn't seem like. I don't think it's going to do much for his uh, mental mental state. And um, I Iokis is probably going to uh, want to take some revenge on Okami and we're uh, callous. So it's it's like it's a lose lose situation, or at least lose no win situation. We're gonna see how a powerful mage deals with no eyeballs compared to a powerful general that loses his eyeballs. I guess. I don't think he thinks he has a chance against the Kamian at this point because even at his best, he. Easily shut down. He should be mad at a Lazarus, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He even realized that it was him that betrayed him before. He's like, I can't run. There's Cory Bowman everywhere. Thanks. Mm -hmm. And then he just fought instead. I I quite like. Ayokas, he seems like a no-nonsense kind of guy, like very rational to the point, no emotions involved. I think that's the Chen or whatever that drug is. It just like deadens your emotions and he's been addicted so long he's completely emotionless. Emotionless and pigmentless. True. Probably pretty crazy looking. But sure. seems to be coping much better with the with the situation that the Scarlet Spires find themselves in than uh, the Eliasiris is at the moment. Uh, there was something. I don't know, this may be nothing, but there was something at the beginning of I think it's chapter one. Um, when they have the skin spy and they're, they're asking him questions and he says, the skin spy tells him, um, woe comes Chig Chigra, you have found us too late. It so, could be nothing. It could, could, be, nothing. Be, could be everything though. Yeah. Well, we, we kind of know that the uh, second apocalypse is probably coming, so mm. he might be just referring to that. That's what I kind of thought, but I don't know if it was something else, like if it was um, some other plan that was in motion that we don't know about yet. But. I thought it was interesting how Kellis talked about how he'd been torturing him to try to get what he could out of him, and he's like, I could get everything out of him. It would just take me like eight months I don't got eight months. And he, what did he say? 
um, something about how basically how it was built. It was too like. I think he said it was conditioned. Yeah, too. It was very conditioned, whatever it was. But he could still break it down in eight months. Interesting. They just didn't yeah. have the time. But it's just interesting since he is one of the conditioned and he's talking about how conditioned this skin spy is. Does it mean that if you had enough time, you could break a Dunyane? And I'll ask your philosophy teachers. <laughs> Gotta tell them what a dumb mean is first. But yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, de that's debatable. Or maybe it gets figured out eventually. Maybe it always stays debatable. But I mean, it's an interesting comparison because I think we generally think about a skin spy as being like having no agency, like being sort of like slaves to the consult consult whereas the danyane are also conditioned but striving for like complete agency slaves so it, to the slaves to the absolute kind of yeah so it's it's a strange it's a strange uh, juxtaposition hmm. anything else uh guys want to mention that we haven't talked about yet there's a part where nair was like just reflecting on how kellis was infecting these people and he says what, what would they do what would they do now that their hollowed scriptures could talk and he's just like laughing about how kellis is going to move this whichever way he wants through their old belief because it's like talked about now how I think when he was talking to Akamian, he's like, do you want to be damned or do you want to be free? It's a choice because I am the scripture. And then Akamian's like, I prefer to be damned. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's also, is it Esmanette? who says something about like the, the, the rules of the world being rewritten with the uh, coming of Kellis. Like, for example, the fact that he taught her a woman to read and he's probably like, there's an, there's an implication that he's probably going to in, introduce more changes into the society. Um, I think and even, by, the, by the end of this book, she's going to be wearing boots my prediction <laughs> woman wearing boots can you imagine <laughs> yeah. another part that i wanted to mention um was uh Nayor thinking like sort of contemplating where he, where he where he uh is at and he says something about not being of the people anymore. Like he, he, he seems like he um, is rejecting his Skilvendi identity. 
Um, and it, it's it's I it wasn't quite clear to me if 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 like if that's because he thinks he's something more because of everything that he's experienced, um, or if it's just that he feels like he's. I don't know, betrayed the, the, the ways of his people. Like he's not, he's less. done too many. Or he's like less he, compared to his yeah. people. Yeah. He's just betrayed, he's betrayed too many traditions to be able to call himself Skilvendi anymore. That re reminded me of the part where he's like looking at Moeen just he's like, right now, this is an Enrithi and a Skilvendi. He's like, Schrodinger's cat. I could take him away. He's Sylvendi, or I could leave him here. He's Enrique, and he's like, no, you're not of the people. And then he goes to smash him and starts getting yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Smith catches him and stops him. And he's saying, you're not of the people. When he finally gets mad. And now he's saying, I'm not of the people. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's realized that being of the people is not um necessarily a enjoyable thing or something that you want to aspire to um from a reader's perspective we've always known he's not of the people right because he's like one step ahead of them intellectually somehow and it's real obvious through the books like him arguing with them over how they should fight all of his like you said times that he like went away against the tribe or the way of the people and did what he wanted. Yeah, and he, he, like him trying to become or be one of the people who has just made him incredibly miserable. <laughs> um, so why, why would you want that for your child? It, it seemed like maybe killing the baby from his perspective might be considered sort of a mercy, maybe, perhaps. Like we but, got, that was yeah. in the last chapter of the last book when the guy gets captured by all those people and they're like interrogating him. Where are the Dunyan? And he's like, man, I should have killed my wife and kids before I left. It would have been better for them. Mm -hmm. Thinking about how it would be better to strangle your own wife and kids than what ends up happening to them. That's crazy. There's a couple rough parts in this book, but I also seen the word hope. I came in to be that hope. That's a that's a crazy word. Hope. <laughs> Why do I have hope? Yeah, let's see what's what's coming up. What's coming up next for us? So I think uh, we'll be reading chapters five through eight next time. So if you're reading along, we'll be back next Friday. <laughs> it's a great way to finish off talking about uh, mercy killing a baby. Yeah, that's good. Well, the, the baby survived, so and ha yeah. happy. it was a happy ending. For now. Not in that last chapter of the last book, I don't think. I don't no, think that, was, that was a not-so-happy ending. Little baby Mo has survived. That's right.
<laughs> little yes. baby Mo. All that, all that's left of Saraway. Yes, Saraway's memory still alive. Well, and and we uh, survey is sort of making her appearance, even though in the form of a skin spine. Yeah. There's crazy. I don't think he'll care much. Yeah, I don't think they'll stop him. It's, as long as his prize looks like his prize, then he'll keep his prize, maybe. Yeah. He's for sure lonely right now. He's for sure broken. Yeah, but would you want to be his friend? No. I don't. If I had to choose to hang out with him or Zinus, it would be a hard choice, but I think I would hang out with Zinus still. He, he seems safer to be around. Yeah, he can't see you, so. <laughs> you can just run away from him and he won't be even able to tell. Yeah, he won't even know it. I think there's a part where Proyas almost does. The audience ends and he starts walking away and Zoom like grabs him, gets led. He's like, oh wait, I shouldn't be in this meeting. <laughs> I, I was just, I was just didn't want to be left alone. He's kind of reverting to a little kid. Yeah, kind of what, what he is now, right? He's... If I lost my eyesight, all of a sudden I don't. I can't imagine I'd feel good for a long time. In this world, it's... Yeah, our world's pretty good. His, yeah. his world sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you go out on the street to see your uh, Shrier and get kidnapped yeah. by slavers. Yeah. In person. <laughs> that little kid lost his best friend. Yeah, it was... Cool. Um, so, uh, Katarina, <laughs> watch out for the slavers this week. Uh, if somebody wants to uh, connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Um, you can find me on the page tuning forum, and I'm also on Instagram at the errand. Nice. And Daniel, where can people not find you? If you just speak after I'm done talking, I'll hear you and somehow answer back. Okay. Awesome. So we'll uh, be back next week. It's nice to be back. It was weird having a Friday without these two to talk about books and talk about the series. So it's good to be back and, and uh, revisiting our old friend Saban. No comment. The Icaries. We got to see them all again. None of them yes. are Icaries anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it was uh, it was sad to see Zarius go, but at least we got some comfort. Yeah. Got some quality time with Comfus. Yeah, I think he has a lot of reflecting to do. Or denying. It's just probably more likely. <laughs> it seemed it seemed like uh Ikari didn't want Confus to come back. Ikari has another plan for Confus in this war. But he didn't really exactly say what it was. Hmm. He, they seem very uh, persistent. 
persevering. Like they have a plan and they will do anything to um, get it done. We'll see. Oh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to read on and find out. Cool, everybody. Thanks for listening, and uh, we will see you next Friday. Until then, we'll talk to everyone soon.